0: Good morning again Alright so here's a question It's rhetorical so you just Just think through it Um, When was the last time You phoned something in Do you understand my reference Phone something in It's to to complete a task An objective with little enthusiasm Or effort When was the last time that you phoned something in When was the last time you were at work And you were like I'm here really not. I'm just gonna keep pushing this button. Five o'clock will be here soon. When was the last time you phoned something in? I, I made a list of times I've phoned things in. I won't share the entire list because that's very personal and you'll judge me, but I, I thought through, uh, I, there have been many times where I have phoned in a workout, right? If you've ever seen me work out or worked out alongside me, it's like I'm moving in slow motion, I I can't explain it like that's just how my body operates and I I just go I go I think slower when I work out than in regular time I phone him in Um, I'm not super proud to admit this but but there have been times where I have phoned in conversations uh, And I love my wife with all of my heart, but I I would would be lying if I said I've never phoned in a conversation with her now to to my defense I I don't really want to talk about my feelings in the bottom of the ninth or when Kentucky's, you know, down by seven. Like, I don't, I, that's, that's, I'll phone that conversation in. We'll pick it up later on. When was the last time you phoned something in? One of the things that I crave more than anything else in my life is authenticity. I crave it. One of the, whew, Draw, it's not even a drawback. It's, it's just something I've learned that being a pastor, when you tell someone that you are a pastor, oftentimes they will uh, kind of change the way they talk. Uh, you, I'll have people that will actually I'll watch them process how many profanities they have said in the conversation previous to when they found out that I was a pastor, and then they'll completely change the way they talk. And so it, it's actually kind of a relief when I'm with someone and they just. They don't change. Like if they were cussing before they knew I was a pastor and they cuss after, I'm like, okay, at least you're being real and authentic with me, and I value that. I value authenticity. When was the last time you had to um, fake it until you made it? When was the last like so so your, your tank is 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 just too empty. The body aches, the soul hurts, and all you can do is pretend. When was the last time you had to to fake it until you make it? When you, you smiled when everything inside of you wanted to cry? When you shook someone's hand when everything inside of you wanted to throat punch them? We can be real here. When was the last time you had to fake it until you make it? So with those questions swirling in your mind as you're processing that, uh, last week we started... Or continued the conversation through the book of Nehemiah. And and I said that that we, while we have moved past it in our kind of fueling the fire, so we as a church family were reading the Bible together through the year, and and, and we said that we would preach on what we read, and and this is kind of one of the exceptions, so we've long since passed Nehemiah, but there were a couple of times that I was reading the book of Nehemiah that I had an encounter with God that I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience just pass over it. And so I've asked it. Would be okay if we just paused here for a couple of weeks and and we sit in some of the stuff that God is showing me. And this particular encounter I had with God was one that was rather painful, very, very uncomfortable. I was confronted with a painful reality, and and, and I'll I'll get to it in a second. Let me just ask, let me ask a couple more questions. And, And again, rhetorical. Internally, don't, don't say anything out loud. When was the last time you authentically worshipped God? How often do you phone in your worship? How often or how many times do you step into a time of worship and you're simply faking it until you make it? If you had to rate your Fervency and energy By which you worship On a scale of one to ten And like, like ten being throne room of heaven Goosebumps like you're just all in And one being Obligation and guilt Where do you find yourself On that scale? Are you a Accidental Worshipper? or an intentional worshiper. Now, there are times, and I've, I've had incredibly powerful times of worship and encounters with God that I, I believe have been completely accidental, at least in far, as far as I was concerned. Like, God caught me completely off guard. Like, I walked away from the encounter, and I'm like, phew, I was not expecting that. That was awesome. But how often do you depend on the accident to occur? How often do you walk into a situation... without being intentional as it pertains to your worship. Let me, let me read a verse, and, and, and you just tell me what this does to you. Tell me if this is a verse you're like, that's not me, or it's like, woof, that wrecks me to my core. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. These people, this is the Lord saying, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. When you worship, are you checking off boxes? Like When you come together here, and this is just one instance in, when we, in which we worship together corporately, right? So, 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 so when we come in here, are you here because you're just checking off the box? This is habitually what you do, and so you're, you're, you're kind of just, check, my week's getting off, as it should. When you sit down with God and you pray, you get into the Word. Are you doing it to check the boxes? Or is your heart Involved now, but before you allow conviction to take over or guilt set in, um, and if for that, I'm sorry, I've let you down. So, what does it look like then? for us to authentically worship. like When I say, when I say authentic worship, what is it that— because I think we all have different pictures and images of what that could or could not be. Uh, one of my favorite examples is found in Scripture of authentic and, I think, real worship. It's a worship that I crave, and it's John who writes the vision of heaven in the book of Revelation, and he talks about the throne room in Revelation chapter 4. And, and, and he paints this picture. He says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures— and they were covered with eyes. And there's a lot of symbolism here, so don't, don't get too bogged down in that, in the front and the back, the eyes in the front and the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second one was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. He continues, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. This is the part I want you to pay attention to. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. text says they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, before John gets into this actual part of worship, he begins to describe like the the, the power of the throne room. He talks about lightning and all these vivid colors and these these amazing, powerful things that he says, and then he writes about how that these elders and these creatures that they eternally worship God. Like it's all they can do. It's, 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 it's the, the, they, they get settled and they're kind of doing their thing and then God does something and they just can't help themselves. They just throw their crowns down at the feet of the throne and they just lay down and worship God with all that they have and all that they are. And so, so, so this type of worship, is that available to us or should it be? Should we reach, seek Search for moments like this that are so powerful that we can't help but just to throw ourselves down at the feet of our Creator? Or is this just something that we get to look forward to? So, in Nehemiah chapter 8, the nation of Israel has, um, they've got a lot going on for them. A lot. Like the people have been released from captivity and exile. They're back home. The temple has been rebuilt. The wall was finished in record time. Like, what should have taken months, if not years, was erected in 52 days, if I I remember correctly. Like, things are good, and they're going to prepare for a time of worship. And so Ezra, the priest, and Nehemiah, they, they, they begin to gather things in order to have this time of worship. One of the things that 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 I think is a requirement for us to step into authentic and intentional worship is is a um, is a purpose, a reason. And we'll get into the text here in a second and I'll, I'll kind of walk through what that was for them, but but I all too often I think we approach worship without a reason or purpose in mind. Like like like, like we just kind of come in and we go through the motions. We check our boxes And the reality Of who we are And where we stand in the presence of our God Is is that every single one of us has a reason And has a purpose And the beauty of having an intimate relationship With our creator is that, that I think our reasons And purposes could be different Maybe it's that While you were still sinners Christ died for you That's a really good reason to worship Maybe we worship because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Like, that, that's an incredible reason to worship. Maybe it's simply that you have air in your lungs, that you are here, that God has given you this day, this moment, this time. That's a reason to worship. Maybe it's more specific. Maybe it's that God has given you kids, a family, and you're grateful for that. Maybe it's that God has seen you through or will see you through or is seeing you through some sort of health scare or dilemma. It's a really good reason to worship. Maybe it's a financial blessing. Or or maybe it's a financial burden. You find yourself in a situation where you have a reason to worship. Maybe it's an emotional reason. Maybe it's your cup is so full that you just can't help it. Or maybe it's so empty that that's all you can do. Maybe it's as simple as the fact that he's God and you're not. Whatever your reason, and there is a reason, I think for us to engage in intentional, authentic worship, we need to identify our purpose. We need to claim it. We need to step into a time and say, okay, God, this time is yours, and here's why I'm worshiping. Here's why I'm going to praise you here in this moment. And so what, what church this morning is your reason to worship? What is it? So, the nation of Israel, they're feeling really good. They're on a spiritual high. Things were going great. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, they're going to worship. and, And this is what it says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So this act of worship that they're about ready to engage in was for everybody. It wasn't exclusive to a certain group. It was for everybody who had ears to hear and that could understand. says he read it, that's the word of God Ezra read it out loud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand all the people listened attentively to the book of the law Nehemiah goes on to write that, that, that Ezra was on a platform and he has elders on each side of him and as he was reading this is so cool, the elders the Levites, the priests, they stepped down into the crowd, and they began to explain and engage. Each person was was, was hearing the word, and I believe, I believe hearing the word maybe for the first time. Verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces. You'll note, as we read through that text, the engagement, the encounter that the people had with Ezra. They were shouting amen, raising their hands, praising I went to a church in, in Texas that, that had a lady, and as I tried to in, in, imagine what the situation was like, had a lady that always sat kind of in the front row, uh, and every time when the pastor would preach, she would just the entire sermon say, come on, preach, come on, amen, come on, preach. And I think, I think that's what was happening there. Ezra began to, to, to read the word of God out loud, and instead of people getting glossy-eyed, instead of people checking their watches or, or pulling up their iPhones and checking Facebook uh, thinking about what it is they're gonna have for lunch, they were all in They were hanging on to every word That Ezra had to say For hours They wanted more They craved it You see, see once, once you've identified Your purpose and your reason for worship Like I, I, you can't stop there I believe And I think we're seeing here in the text That authentic Intentional worship Happens when you, when, when you lean in now, this is often an overused term in the church. Uh, we, we, we chuckle about it because pastors always just say, like, Come on, lean into me now. Lean into me. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But there, there needs to be a posture of being willing to receive this thing that God has for you. I am so guilty, so guilty of being preoccupied with everything that life has thrown my way that, 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 that I, I kind of sit back and I wait. And then I wonder, man, wonder why God didn't show up. Wonder why He didn't He didn't do in my life what I really hoped He would do. So if the people here in this text, like they, they were craving the Word of God. And their posture, their posture represented that. They, they stepped in, they put the distractions aside. And they said, okay, God, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm ready for you to speak. Church, what's your posture when you worship? What's your posture? And, 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 and here, let's talk, we'll start here. So when you're here, what is it? What is your posture? Are, are, are you looking around? Are, are, you, are you thinking about other things? Are, are you on your phone? Are you, are you looking at your watch? Are you thinking, man, when is this guy going to be done I want to go home and eat or or is it one where you you remove me from the equation, Aaron and you listen to what God has to say what about when you're outside of the walls of this church and I, I hope I hope that this is not the only time that you engage in worship I hope you have more than an hour a week of worship but when you're outside the walls of this building what does it look like what's your posture look like Are you squeezing God in, giving him 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there? Are you you pushing everything off of your desk and saying, okay, God, this time is yours. I am yours. What's your purpose? What's your posture? Are you leaning in? Now, watch, watch what happens here in the text. When, when, when the people of God, when they, when they lean in, when they lean into what it is that Ezra was saying, some, something happens, or, or God does something. Chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep. That's funny. Like, Five seconds ago, they were, amen, hallelujah, come on, preach, bring it to me. And and here, they're crying, they're mourning. So this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn, do not meet, for the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to him. So so something happens as they begin to lean in to God's word. And I believe, uh, for me, one of the greatest deterrents for authentic, intentional worship in my life is the propensity for those moments to get really, real, really fast. And I don't like it. So what happens, and what happened to the nation of Israel here, is that all of a sudden, the veil had been lifted off of their eyes. They had been living life. They thought they were doing okay. Thought they were doing good. And as they heard the word of the Lord being read over and over and over again, all of a sudden it became abundantly clear how deficient they truly were. And they were wrecked by it. They were heartbroken. We were supposed to be doing what? We're supposed to... What? Huh? I have not done that. And they were destroyed by it. And they couldn't help themselves. They broke down. They were crying. And they were weeping. And they were mourning. And all of a sudden, this amazing thing, this exciting thing, it it just, it, it turned just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And, it's, and then it says, it says the, don't cry though, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we, we've heard that verse. In fact, that, that might be posted on some of your homes. Like we, we have it on dish towels, we paint it on walls, like we love that verse. It's an incredible verse. You stop to think about what the joy is in that sentence. It's an so, odd thing for Nehemiah to say, or Ezra to say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As people are sitting there crying. What is it that's bringing joy? Well, I believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, it was at that moment that people began to reconcile themselves to God, and that's all he's ever wanted. Everything that he's done, and everything that he will do, is, is, is to draw them back into a relationship with him. He says, come to me, come to me, and when they finally come to him and they begin to see how deficient they were, it brings him joy because he's like, that, that, that is the first step in reconciliation. Come to me. People began to see that. And the text continues. Chapter 1, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. So this is after they had kind of processed everything that they had gone through. They were fasting and wearing a sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Again, still grieving and still mourning. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. So, so, so they... They stepped into worship intentionally and purposefully. They had a reason to worship. They leaned into God's word. They allowed God to speak to them personally. That created this this deficiency. And the next thing that has to happen, the next thing that had to occur for, for authentic, intentional, genuine worship is that they had to let go. You want to worship God? Once you've identified your purpose, once you've allowed God to speak to you, you have to let go of the thing that is preventing you from stepping into that relationship and communion with him. So the beauty of our scripture is that he never says you have to be okay. Not once. In fact, Jesus had, Jesus had lots to say counter to that. He simply says you have to come. So what happens even when we identify a purpose, even when we lean into God, because either we're we're stubborn or we're afraid, or or maybe we just don't know how, we hold on to these things that God does not want us to hold on to. And what they do is, is they create a barrier between you and God. You might not realize it, but it does. The sin that you were holding on to, the addiction that you were dealing with, The thoughts that you struggle with, the words that you say, whatever it is, when we when we hold on to those almost as if we're trying to hide them from God, well, it builds this wall. And it prevents God from doing the thing that He so desperately desires to do in your life. And so you you have to, you have to let it go. And that's what the people here, the nation of Israel, that's what they did. They had enough. They had seen just how far they had fallen, and they said, okay, okay, God, I, I'm gonna give this to you. I'm handing it to you. I am throwing this at your feet. I'm not sure what you're gonna do with it, and I'm not sure even how long I'm gonna be able to lay at your feet because I have a propensity to pick it back up, but, but for this moment, right here, right now, I'm handing it to, to you, and I'm trusting you. I'm letting this thing go. And watch what happens, and I'll finish the text here. It says, in the Levites, they said to the crowd, "Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting." I said, "Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise." They said, "You were alone, our God. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens." And their starry host. The earth and all that is on it, the seas, and it's all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And they'll go on and on and on, and they just they just worship with vigor and authenticity. I am afraid. I think we do a really good job pretending at times. I think we we do a really good job looking the part. I think we've got that down. I think we know what to say. Check. I think we know how to move. Check. We know how to respond. Check. We know how to act. Check. We've got the checklist, like we we've got that down. But my fear, my fear, and this was the encounter and the the, the thing that God and I have been wrestling with all week, is that in, in pretending or in looking the part, have I, like Isaiah wrote, have I moved my mind and my body over here and I've left my heart over here? Have I stopped authentically worshiping? See, so the, the thing about authentic worship is that sometimes it's messy and it's not glamorous. Sometimes we, we look away. that, mm, it's not how we like to look. Sometimes we're so afraid of just letting go and truly handing things over to God that, we, that we're just constantly keeping him at arm's length. Right? It's, it's that God I'll give you this But I'm going to need to stop you right there Because that's a little bit out of my comfort zone And in doing that and, and I am guilty of this church In doing that Am I preventing God Am I preventing God From, from doing in my life What he desperately desires to do and we, we were created Whether you realize it or not We were created to be worshipers That's why you're here That's why God made you To be worshipers And and, and while it can happen on accident What does it look like in our lives If we become really intentional And purposeful in it Like like we we make it a practice And not something that just happens to us Where where we We're intentionally every day Say God here's the reason I'm worshiping you today I'm giving this day to you because of this right here. When when, when we read the word or we're listening to worship music, we we lean into it. We don't take a passive approach. We step into the thing that God is doing. And and that that when in that moment God begins to do some convicting inside of us, we begin to to feel the, the wall or the barrier raise up. We say, okay, you know what, God, I'm giving this to you. This is yours. Take it from me. What happens? What does it look like for us to intentionally and purposely worship? We're gonna take a moment and we're gonna put into practice what we've just talked about. And so if the worship team wants to come back up. We're gonna, we're gonna sing two songs, two and a half songs, a little bit different. One song is a little bit newer and one is a, uh, a hymn that, that, that you know. But I want you to take the next five minutes or so and intentionally and authentically worship. Put into practice what we talked about. And so so maybe that's you standing up, throwing your hands up, and singing as loud as you can. If you can't sing, that is okay. I can't either. We'll be off key together. Maybe it's it's simply kneeling or, or sitting or bowing and, and just praying and, and handing over the thing that God is just asking for. Maybe, maybe this is all new and you, you want to worship for the first time. Maybe you're ready to ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, and, and if that's the case, I want to pray with you. I want to meet with you. I'll be over here. Pastor Jarrett will be over here. Come up. Let's see what God does here as we worship him together. Let's, let's stand.